Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotir Gamaya Mrityurma Amritam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality. Om, peace, peace, peace. Good morning. As the subject this morning is the two birds, the reference is I do plunge straight into the subject, right, don't I? <laughs> uh, the reference is to a mantra from the Mundaka Upanishad. The Upanishads we know are the core texts of Vedanta. The Upanishads are Vedanta. In fact, in Sanskrit, when we define Vedanta, when we used to teach, as to teach the novices in the main monastery in, in near Calcutta, we would start off by defining Vedanta. What is Vedanta? And the Sanskrit definition goes short and sweet. Vedanta nama Upanishad pramanam. Vedanta is the source of knowledge, spiritual knowledge called the Upanishads. Literally Upanishads is Vedanta, Vedanta is Upanishads. And of course, a very rich commentarial literature. But in the original text, the, one of the Upanishads, the Mundaka Upanishad, which by the way was also the source of the interesting metaphor of archery, which I used two weeks back here, is this other uh, metaphor of the two birds. The mantra goes like this. I'll recite it to you, and then we will see what it means. Dwa suparna sayuja sakhaya samanam riksham parishasvajate tayoranyam pippalam swadvatti there is a tree, and in India it's usually a people tree. Some people say that uh, the Buddha sat down under it and meditated, and that was the Bodhi tree. But anyway, so there's a tree, and on the tree there are two birds. There is this lower bird and the higher bird. They look very similar. The lower bird is busy uh, eating the fruits of the tree. It's jumping, hopping from branch to branch and pecking at this and pecking at the other, tasting this and tasting the other. Some of them are sweet and some of them are bitter. And when it tastes a bitter fruit and it looks up and sees this, suddenly it notices this other bird sitting high up on the tree. That bird just watches. It just sits there and shines, calm, not seeking the fruits, not eating the fruits, the fruits of experience, not doing that. And this lower bird looks at the higher bird and feels, how nice, so peaceful, if only I could be like that, and takes a, hops up, one step towards that, one more hop up towards that, but unfortunately, it gets distracted. Oh, there's a nice fruit, let me taste that before I go. And goes to that fruit and starts eating, and it's nice, it really is nice. So it wants to taste another and another and has forgotten the higher bird until it tastes a particularly bitter fruit and goes, oh, and looks up again. Oh my God, I forgot about the other bird. That bird is so peaceful and happy. And in this way, spiritual life, 
it goes like this in hops and then you know two steps forward and three steps back and uh, then finally it goes closer and closer and as it comes closer and closer to the higher bird something remarkable happens to the lower bird its own plumage begins to shine with the same light and as it comes very close to the higher bird suddenly the lower bird disappears and only the higher bird remains this is of course a metaphor a beautiful uh, uh, structure which explains spiritual life to us the body is the tree this body our body the body is the tree and and we the embodied individual living our lives that's the lower bird we are the lower bird and hopping from branch to branch and eating sweet and bitter fruits that's our life we are experiencing life looking for sweet fruits trying to avoid the bitter ones it doesn't work sometimes we don't find the sweet fruits and sometimes we find the bitter ones even when if we don't want it and then we come across this higher bird sometimes we call it god or brahman um or the self or nirvana or something and we move towards it but we get distracted in spiritual life and ultimately of course we are supposed to attain it you know i like this how this verse it equally encapsulates the dualistic mode of religion and the non-dualistic mode of religion you see when you start off this god or the spiritual reality or even in a non-theistic religion like buddhism we don't there's no god talk but you still speak about a spiritual state of nirvana enlightenment so that is seen to be something different from us so the higher bird is different from the lower bird and the higher bird is something to be attained by the lower bird so a dualistic kind of religion is possible that's how most of us we start our religious life and the upanishadic verses lend themselves to both kinds of interpretation a non-dualistic interpretation by non-dualistic and dualistic of course i mean the ultimate reality is one with us that's non-dualistic or the ultimate reality is different from us and we have to attain it that is dualistic so these in this sense dualistic and non-dualistic i remember we are having a hindu catholic dialogue and then somebody pointed out to me swami you have to be careful about the words you use because dualism means something quite different in catholic theology and something quite different in uh, advaita vedanta in catholic theology it means the dualism of good and evil um so and in in advaita vedanta it means the dualism of reality and apparent existence so non dualism means there's only one reality but the upanishads lend themselves to both kinds of interpretation and therefore in india you have the entire spectrum of religion you have what is a very familiar form of religion there is god different from us there are heavens and there are us individual beings suffering beings who are attempting to realize god and we render up worship and we surrender to god and we pray to god and there are rituals and devotional songs and hymns and the promise of a heavenly afterlife all of that is there and that's also part of vedanta that's called the so called bhakti schools of vedanta the devotional schools of vedanta that's also there that's very valid that's true in the same upanishads the great dualistic masters like madhvacharya 
who is a, a founder of the Dvaita Vedanta, the dualistic school of Vedanta, Ramanujacharya, who lived a thousand years ago, who is the founder of the qualified monistic school of Vedanta, Vishishtadvaita, and there were a number of other, other schools. All of them, they were based on these mantras. And I can see the dualists, their faces lighting up when it says, two birds sit on a tree. And they go, ah, you non-dualists, look at this. Take a look, two birds. The Lord is right here in the immanence of the divine. The Lord is present everywhere, including your body. The Lord is the, the ruler of your heart, the witness within this body. And you are the individual being. And you are two, not one. And the non-dualistic Vedantins also interpret the same thing. Um, and they show that the difference, why it seems to be two. They don't deny it seems to be two. It does seem to be two right now. Higher bird, lower bird. <laughs> but it does seem to be two. But then they, as you see, the interpretation goes as we come closer and closer, which means not physically. It means as we evolve spiritually, then we begin to see I myself am the higher bird or I am nothing but a projection of the higher bird. The higher bird is the only reality. So non-dualism is also established by the same mantra. Anyway, quite apart from that, this is what the mantra tells us the whole metaphor of the two birds. It's a beautiful uh, way of explaining spiritual life to us. But this morning, let's take a closer look at it. Let's understand distinctly what is the lower bird, what is the higher bird, and what is life and what is spiritual life. These are the questions we will look into with the help of this text, this very ancient text. According to um, the commentary, I'll follow the commentary of Shankaracharya, the great non-dualist commentator, something that he wrote some 1400 years ago. Um, but the Sanskrit is very simple, actually. Um, it is said that Shankaracharya was only 16 years old when he wrote the commentaries. That's the legend, how it goes. And somebody says that, of course, the Sanskrit is simple. He was a boy, a school boy. So <laughs> the language is very simple there. Now, what he tells us is this. Look at the world, this is the physical world here, and this body is the tree. And within this body, we find three things. One is our mind, the subtle body. Here's the gross body, and there's the subtle body. The subtle body is the life forces, prana within us. The uh, mind, in Sanskrit, manas. The intellect, distinguishing between the mind and the intellect. Because intellect is the one which we are using now, hopefully, to understand all this. The intellect and the mind. So all of this together is called the subtle body. Mind, intellect, the powers of the senses and the life forces. The life forces are like the battery pack which powers the whole unit. This is the individual being, the subtle body inside with consciousness with consciousness, with awareness. And this unit, what is it? Subtle body and the consciousness which we experience in the subtle body. And there is something else called the causal body. This is something we do not uh, uh, generally think about, but in Vedanta, this causal body is very important. This causal body, uh, in Vedanta, it is called, uh, it is ignorance. The very ignorance of our true nature 
is said to be the causal body. The only reason the higher bird appears as a lower bird is because it's ignorant of itself as the higher bird. We are ignorant of ourselves as pure consciousness and therefore we appear as this consciousness mixed up with mind and matter. I'll repeat that. We are ignorant of our very nature as infinite consciousness and we appear therefore we seem to be a limited consciousness. Consciousness limited to this body. So in this body, what is there in the tree of, of this body? What is there? There is the lower uh, bird, which is constituted of the subtle body, the causal body, ignorance, and the consciousness trapped, so to say, within the subtle body or causal body. I'll repeat that. The lower bird is the subtle body, causal body, and the consciousness trapped or reflected in the causal body or subtle body. Let me explain those words, trapped or reflected. There are two schools in Vedanta to explain our present consciousness. Yes, according to Vedanta, we are infinite consciousness, but ultimately so. Right now, the awareness that we experience, we experience an awareness right now. We are sentient beings, aware beings. This awareness that we experience right now is explained in Vedanta in two ways, the two approaches to it. One is called the school of reflection. It's a school. And they have some 800 years of uh, literature about it. It's a school of reflection. In Sanskrit, Pratibhimbavada. Pratibhimbavada means pure consciousness is reflected in the mind. Is this theory? No, it's, it's something that we are experiencing. The consciousness, the awareness which we experience within ourselves, you just close your eyes and feel that I am aware. Yes. This awareness is the reflected consciousness. It's exactly like there's a sun out there, um, or let's take the blue sky out there, and if you keep a bucket of water, there's a bucket and there's water in it, you will find the blue sky reflected in the water. There's a blue, real blue sky up there, and the real blue sky is reflected in the bucket of water, in the water itself. You will see the blue sky in the water. Just like that, pure consciousness is there, the higher bird, and it is reflected in the lower bird, the, the subtle body and the causal body. So it's a reflected consciousness. That's one way of looking at the awareness which we have within ourselves right now. A reflected consciousness. Another way of looking at the same thing is what I just said, trapped consciousness. It's like right here. If you look through the windows, the lattices, the grill of the windows, the lattices of the windows, if you look at the blue sky through the lattices, the sky will look divided and subdivided into dozens of star-like shapes or flower-like shapes. As the lattices are shaped, the sky will look like that. Do you see what I mean? If you look, if you look at the blue sky, it looks, at the blue, looks like the blue sky. But if you look through the window, the lattices of the window, you will find the sky seems divided into hundreds of those little flower shapes. You see? It just looks like that. Now, it's as if the sky has been limited by the lattices of the window, by the grill of the window. As if. So that's another school of Vedanta which says, which, which is called the limitation theory. Consciousness seems to be limited by the subtle body and the causal body. So you have two theories. To explain what? To explain the awareness which we have, the awareness of the little bird, of the lower bird which we have right now. One is the reflection theory 
Imagine the blue sky reflected in the water in a bucket. And the other one is the limitation theory or the trapped theory. Imagine the blue sky looked at through the lattices of the window. You will say immediately, and you will notice this immediately, in both cases, nothing has actually happened to the blue sky. Right? In the case of the blue sky reflected in the water, it's not that the sky has come down into the water, it's a reflection. And in this, ca in this case, even more clear, it's not that the sky has been broken into hundreds of little flower-like shapes. It's just it looks like that because of the presence of the grill. And that is an amazing thing. That's what Vedanta points out. We, the pure consciousness, the infinite consciousness, we have actually not been trapped in this body and mind. It just looks like that. We are not actually in this body and mind. It just is a reflection of ourselves, the consciousness which we feel inside. Whether you follow the reflection school, Pratibhimbavada in Sanskrit, or the limitation or trapped school is the Avachedavada in Sanskrit. And they have some 800 years of fierce infighting between them, which is right. <laughs> because unfortunately for them, when they look back into the commentaries of Shankaracharya on these verses, uh, Shankaracharya indiscriminately uses sometimes a reflection idea, sometimes a limitation idea. So both schools have. But as you can see, it does not really make a difference. It's just two ways of looking at it. Two ways of looking at what? Who we are, the awareness and who we really are according to Vedanta, pure consciousness. This awareness is either a reflection of pure consciousness in the mind, the subtle body and the causal body, or it just appears to be trapped in the subtle body and causal body. But in both cases, the pure consciousness remains the pure consciousness. Okay, once again, the body is the tree. The example, the tree, that's the body. The lower bird is the subtle body, Causal body and consciousness reflected, trapped, whatever, in the subtle body and causal body. And the higher bird is pure consciousness. Brahman, pure consciousness, infinite consciousness, unlimited. It's not just in this tree. It's in that tree and that tree and that tree, in every tree. In every tree, it is the same pure consciousness sitting everywhere. Now, one more thing I'd like to point out. Normally in Vedanta, when we speak about the limited individual and Brahman, the infinite reality. We say the limited individual is the body-mind complex, consciousness with the body-mind complex, identified with the body-mind complex. Here you will notice the tree, the body, has been set aside. Tree is something in which the higher bird is also there and the lower bird is also there. And the lower bird is, again to repeat, subtle body, causal body, consciousness reflected in them. Higher bird, pure consciousness. And the tree seems to be the common sitting place of both. So it's a slightly different model. The usual model is body-mind complex. Body mind, we are body-mind with consciousness. But in this model, the body has been set aside as the tree. And on the tree are the Lord, the higher bird, and the individual being the lower bird. So this uh, model is a slightly different way. But just imagine it. It's a very beautiful way of looking at it. There is a reason why the tree has been separated from the individual. Because we always think of ourselves as this body. But Vedanta says, you are not this body. The reason is, one reason why this kind of image has been used, is that the bird flies from tree to tree. The lower bird flies from tree to tree. 
in all the systems of vedanta we believe in reincarnation this is not the only tree i have sat upon there are other trees the lower bird has sat upon we have forgotten it we are bird brains <laughs> we have forgotten it in the gita krishna says to arjuna oh arjuna you and all these kings assembled on the battlefield you have lived many lives so have i but the difference is you have forgotten them all i have not that's the difference between the lord and us individuals when the writer of the gospel m master mahashay goes to sri ramakrishna and he wrote down what sri ramakrishna is to say in the gospel of sri of sri ramakrishna but uh, um, in one very touching place sri ramakrishna suddenly turns upon him and you know it's it's all striking that at that place he just looks down at him and says looks at him and says tell me i know your past and your future do i not we would be taken aback we might be even be scared but master marsha immediately melts in surrender he folds his hands and bows down he says yes lord you do you know all about my past and you know all that's going to happen to me in future now that's the sign of the higher bird that the higher bird knows it all because the higher bird is the same bird in all the trees that's where the metaphor breaks down again indeed later on we will see that the higher bird is not only the higher bird but is also the lower bird and is also the tree in in fact it's the entire forest itself that's non dual vedanta brahman is the only reality but that will come later now what has happened is what's happened to the lower bird let's see the lower bird keep the the scheme clear in your mind no theory just see what it's there in in this body here is the tree and this mind and the causal body that is the ignorance of the real self and the consciousness trapped or reflected within that's me i am the lower bird it's no theory just see it's a fact now what has happened to me the next verse is very striking it just identifies our human condition so powerfully the next verse goes like this samani vrikshe purusho nimagna anishaya shochati muhyamana yat dushtam yada pashyatyanyamisham asya mahimanam iti vita shoka in this tree the little uh, literal translation in the tree sits the little bird the lower bird sunk in samsara it literally means holding on clutching the tree and powerless helpless suffering and deluded perchance sometimes it sees the glorious higher bird and seeing the glory of the higher bird is delivered from its suffering this is the literal translation now what does it mean let's go through this carefully the human condition is put forth so beautifully here and we will you will see as i go through this you will see yourself nodding <laughs> in agreement uh in this tree sits the lower bird in this body we sit nimagna the word sanskrit word nimagna means sunk in samsara sunk in samsara means completely identified with this tree 
Of course, the bird doesn't think that I am the tree, but we think I am the body. Or the bird might think it's, it's my tree. So we think this is my body, this is who I am. Completely identified with this. And being completely identified with this, what happens? Shankaracharya uses a, the commentator uses a phrase. Ignorance, desire, action. Avidya, kama, karma. Ignorance, desire, action. It's a favorite phrase of the commentator. What does it mean? Not knowing ourselves as infinite consciousness, as Brahman, as the immortal, pure consciousness Brahman, we do not know ourselves. This is ignorance. And at each stage, we must give a check mark. Do I know myself as God? We say, no. Okay, tick. Ignorance is there. I have ignorance. <laughs> then what is the consequence of this ignorance? What happens to the lower bird? Not knowing itself as the higher bird, what happens? Desire ar ar arises. Desire arises. Why does desire arise? Because if I do not know myself as the infinite consciousness, what I will know myself as is this mind. Is this little, the subtle body and the causal body and this physical body. That's who I know myself as. So everything that the physical body wants, likes, it becomes my desire. Every limitation of the mind becomes my limitation. Every desire in the mind becomes my desire. Finding myself limited. I am born and I grow. That's fine. Being born and growing is fine. But yeah, wait, wait, wait. What comes next? Then I decay and I go, grow old and there is disease. That's not so fine. And then the worst of all, there is death. So immediately there are these limitations. And desire comes. I must hold on to youth. I must hold on to good health. I must hold on to a happy state of mind. The pursuit of happiness, it's given as something that we are supposed to do. But we take it as a fundamental right. I must be happy. Why am I not happy? I must maintain the state of happiness in my mind. And so on. Desire arises. This is good. I like this food. I like this job. I like Santa Barbara, this place. And so I must have this food and this job and this place. And I don't like that other place. It's too cold. <laughs> and I don't like that other food. And I don't like that, uh, you know, those other people. And this, this I like and that I do not like. Desire comes. I must have this. I must avoid that. I like being young. I don't like being old. I like being healthy. I don't like being sick. I like living. I don't want to die. All of this comes because of our identification with this body and mind. So from ignorance comes desire. See, avidya, kama. Kama means desire. From not knowing ourselves as we are comes this desire which is related to the world. And once desire is there, we act. We start doing things. Karma. Karma means action. Once we do action, consciously strive for something, what will happen is, see what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is we'll get the result of that. We set into motion the most powerful machinery in the universe, the law of causality. Cause, effect. Do something, say something, you will get the result of that. Do good things and say good things, you'll get good results. Do naughty things and say naughty things, you'll get bad results. But in both cases, we are caught in the cycle of karma. 
caught in the cycle of karma, what happens is we keep getting a stream of experiences. What are these experiences? The sweet and bitter fruits the lower bird is eating on the tree. The various kinds of experiences of life stream into our lives. We want those experiences. But the thing is, of course, we want the good ones and we do not want the bad ones. But it's a package deal. When we get experiences, the law of karma operates and gives us a stream of sweet and bitter fruits. Pleasant experiences and unpleasant experiences. And the lowered bird is the experiencer. You see, it is pure consciousness, reflected or trapped in the subtle body and causal body, which is the experiencer. I am translating from the commentator. Bhokta. Bhokta in Sanskrit means the experiencer. Who is the bhokta? Who is the experiencer? Not pure consciousness in itself, but pure consciousness streaming through this mind becomes an experiencer. And it's trying to experience, leads to action. Karta in Sanskrit, it means the doer of actions, agent of actions. Who is the karta? Not pure consciousness in itself, not the higher bird. It's that pure consciousness shining through, reflected in the subtle body and the causal body, identified with the physical body, who starts doing actions. It's the lower bird which hops, that hopping from branch to branch is action in life, what we do in life. So that action, the lower bird is the, the agent of action, karta. The lower bird is the experience of the results of action, bhokta. Whereas the higher bird is neither the doer not the experiencer. But it enables the doing and experiencing by shining upon the lower bird. And so the lower bird goes through life. Avidya, kama, karma. Ignorance gives rise to desire and desire gives rise to action. Once action starts, then results will come. And the results are not exhausted in one life. As the tree dies, no more fruits in the tree, it's dried up. The bird flies from this tree to another tree. So this is a recurring motif in, in Indian spirituality, that going from life to life. So they believe in many lives. Um, some beautiful songs are there. I remember um, Bhim Shain Joshi, a classical singer. Uh, Kumar Gandhar, classical singer. Urjayega hum sakela. The the bird, the swan will fly off alone. This is a, this aloneness is the is the motive of the lower bird. When it flies off from the tree, it goes alone. None of its friends will come with it. No relatives, no friends, nobody. It flies off alone into the sky to reach another tree. Beautiful. I mean, just coming to my mind, uh, songs are there as. Even uh, evening comes, the birds fly off from the tree. The guru goes to his karma and the disciple goes to his. The guru and disciple were on the tree and they, the guru was teaching the disciple and they were practicing and so on and so forth. As death comes, the tree dies means the birds fly off. The subtle body flies off. It goes to some other world. And the guru goes to the result of his karma and the disciple goes to the result of his karma. So it's a beautiful way of speaking about it. And it starts a chain of birth and death. The whole cycle of birth and death. Why? Why is there birth and death? Because there are results of karma. Effects of cause. Why is there results of karma? Because of karma. 
Why is there karma? Because of our desire. Why do we have desires? Because of our ignorance. Ignorance of what? That the higher bird. Of the pure consciousness of our true nature. All of this from one word, nimagna, sunk in samsara. And identified with this body and mind, in this tree of the body. What happens to the lower bird? Anishaya shochati. It suffers because of powerlessness, helplessness. You see, what happens to us is, as we go through life, I want to be happy as this individual. So I start off by making changes, you know. I try to change things in my life. I start off that way. The immature person tries to change the things. Better, more gadgets, more houses, more cars, things, more things, more stuff in my life will make me happy. Very soon I realize that the stuff is not making me or wife or husband or the children, it's not really making them happy. It might be making them even more miserable. So I say, okay, um, the stuff is not making us happy. Um, how about um, new experiences? Let's go for a vacation, let's do some skiing, this and that, you know. Especially in this country, I have seen that whenever some time opens up on your schedule, immediately you fill it up. It's like some time in the schedule, it's open. Oh my God, this Sunday, there's nothing to do. What do I do? Let's go to the Vedanta Society. <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, and, and, and we'll see. We'll see why, why this is not true. And that why going to the Vedanta Society is not spelling up the schedule. It's a sign of spiritual maturity, but we'll just see a little later. Um, after some time, we see the activities, a series of activities one after another, filling up our lives with this and that. I see the cruise ships sailing in nowadays in Santa Barbara. So you go for a cruise. It's fun. True. But in the end, there's nothing permanent, nothing that remains. You know, It's just one more sweet fruit to pick and nibble and taste for the lower bird. Nothing permanent that stays there. Well, then we realize the wife and kids or the husband and the kids are not happy with all of this. We need to change them. You know, the person has to be improved. It's a wiser idea. Things or experiences are not so important. The person has to be changed. And boy, they're trying to change. Imagine trying to change your kids. Everybody's tried that. And everybody says, they're so awful. Uh -huh. A doctor told me, that she has had cases of um, grown-ups, parents, hiding in the bathroom and as an excuse to stay away from the little terrors. <laughs> they finally broke down and admitted that I don't want to face the kids and their demands. You can, changing ourselves is so difficult. How do, how do you even expect to change the other person? Change the husband or the wife or the children? No, it's not so easy. We, each of us, each little bird, lower bird, has an enormous load of previous karma and samskaras. It's so difficult to change ourselves, let alone changing others. Powerless, unable to change our experiences, our, unable to make any change, headway in making any change in our co-workers, colleagues, boss, forget it. And husband or wife or children, unable to do that. Then we come to a little better uh, idea, I must change myself. Okay, wiser idea. I must change myself. And what do I do? Okay, let me live healthy. I'll go to yoga and I'll take up running. Let me eat healthy. Give up all the gluten. Gluten-free. Everything is gluten-free. And 
It's supposed to be good for you. Everything is gluten-free is good for you. Glu with gluten is bad for you. And just a few days ago, we, I was driving back. I mean, somebody was driving me back to the monastery in um, Hollywood. That's so contradictory, monastery in Hollywood. But <laughs> <laughs> Gerald Hurd, Christopher Isherwood writes that Gerald Hurd told him, I'll take you to this place in Hollywood which is hidden by Maya, as it were. It's a, it's a spiritual place, the, the Hollywood monastery, he says, 1950s, I think. And he says it's so difficult to find in, uh, between Ivor and uh, Avenue and all. It's like it's hidden. But anyway, I was, I was being driven along there by, on, in the car, and I saw this big billboard which says, gluten-free, gluten-free vodka. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, right. Good for you. Anyway, so I decide to make a change. I can't change anybody. I can't change uh, husband, wife, children, uh, or my co-workers, but I can change myself. So I'm, I'm, I live healthy. I eat gluten-free. I exercise. I do yoga. But you know what? All of those things have limitations. With all the, the person who's done yoga all her life, uh, the person who's eaten gluten-free and healthy all his life, even that person will age bodies deteriorate. There is a wisdom in it. If you live healthy, definitely you are managing the, the degeneration better. But you're just managing something better. But it, that is, it's going to happen. Old age will come, disease will come, death will come. It all has an end. Our problem is not solved. You turn to religion then. Conventional religion. All right, I believe in God. God exists. God will bless me and make my life better, cure my cancer, uh, make my, um, you know, uh, make my life better. People will be nicer to me. Things will change. Maybe they do. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do not. You see, the difference between conventional religion and spirituality, there's a big difference. Um, the difference is like this. In conventional religion, what we are doing is we are using God to make our lives better. You see, I believed in God and God cured cancer. I believed in God, I prayed to God and um, my husband or wife who was being nasty to me changed. And therefore I believe in God and God is good to me. And all those may be true, but I am not impressed. The reason I am not impressed is Often without praying to God, cancer is cured. And often after lots and lots of prayers to God, cancer is not cured. I just heard this very inspiring story about Houston Smith, who wrote The Religions of the World, a classic book on comparative religion. Even now it's used as, um, as a textbook in different religion classrooms. It seems he's still alive, very, very sick now. Um, I just heard this from the sisters. They told me the story. It seems that uh, he had a very beloved granddaughter who was murdered. And after that, somebody came and interviewed him. And they, they said to him, so now, Professor Smith, do you still believe in God? And his answer, it seems he speaks like this. His answer was, how absurd. People get killed every day just because it's my granddaughter. Should I stop believing in God? Now, that's a very powerful insight. Whether a good thing happens to me or a bad thing happens to me, 
that does not necessarily prove or disprove the existence of God. You see, it proves or ex disproves the existence of God to whom? To the person who wants to use God for a more pleasant life. To that person, this question arises. Oh, nasty thing happened to me. Oh, God doesn't exist. Good thing happened to me. I believe in God. That's because primary for me is the good thing and very important to me is that nasty things shouldn't happen and good things should happen. That's important. God is secondary. God is an added option which is supposed to make my life better. Yoga and gluten-free and God. <laughs> All of that still has a limitation. Helplessness, powerlessness. The Upanishad says we are powerless, helpless and we suffer. Fear, anger, frustration and finally depression. See, this is the suffering that we undergo continuously. There's a very evocative sentence I read some. You know, most people live lives of quiet desperation. Lives of quiet desperation. Until what happens? Yada. Until. Yada means when. Until when. What happens? Because of some reason, we turn to spiritual life. We begin to look at the higher bird. There's a difference between this conventional religion and spirituality. Moving from conventional religion to spirituality or bypassing conventional religion altogether and coming directly to spirituality. There's a big difference. Here what happens? I am trying to find God. If there is a God, I must see him. If there is a God, I must realize God. If I am an immortal soul, I must realize myself as that. If I am not the body and mind, if I am immortal, I must re-experience that. That is a spiritual quest. If God exists, he must bless me. That is conventional religion. He must make my life better. That is conventional religion. God for making my life better, conventional religion. Life for seeking God, spirituality. It's a spiritual quest. In Vedanta, we say that when you have enormous amounts of good karma, you have a lot of good karma, life is pleasant for you. That's why mor morality, goodness is good for your life. It's, 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 it's wisdom. You really want to be happy? Lead a good life. Be a good person. But if you have lots of good karma, then what happens? Vedanta says you come to spirituality. You come to, they literally say you come to Vedanta. So that's why I said coming to Vedanta on a Sunday morning is a spiritual decision. It's not that there is some space opening up in my schedule so let me go to Vedanta. Oh no! There are lots of more pleasant things, you know, watching TV or walking out there on a beautiful day on the beach. Why not do that? And why come here and listen to or talk about some uh, mysterious oriental philosophy? Why? Because we are seeking. We are moving towards, we are looking for the higher bird. There's no doubt about it. Every one of us who is here, we have been. Vedanta says you come to Vedanta only at the culmination of a process of evolution. When only very highly evolved souls, there's something that resonates within. That here is something true. For the first time, I think it was Josephine MacLeod who said, when, he, when I first heard Vivekananda, it was truth. When I heard him the second time, it was truth. And when I heard him the third time, it was truth. And every time I heard him, it was truth. It was, it, it's the truth within. Which, which, recognizes the truth coming through the Upanishads. It points out to the higher bird right here. That's why it is so attractive, most powerfully attractive. By the grace of 
God, a guru comes into your life maybe, you get the mantra, you start practicing meditation, you make major changes in your life. Now, life is not about trying to get um, sweet fruits and avoid the bitter ones. Life is now about trying to reach the higher bird. This is the great change. It says, yada, when? That huge change must come. Do I now define myself as a person who's who, a spiritual person? The quest of my life is a spiritual quest. If there is God, I must find God. If I am an immortal soul, I must know who I am. Then you are one with the Buddha. Buddha in his quest for enlightenment, we are all of us one with the Buddha. The Dalai Lama once in his talk, he's saying, there's a big golden image of Buddha. In fact, there is a, this Buddha right here. <laughs> this person, his image is up there because he discovered his own Buddha nature. In the words of the Upanishad, he found the higher bird. That higher bird is in the, all of these bodies. So when we start seeking for that, we are trying to become the Buddha actually. That's what we are trying to do. So as we do that, spiritual practices, prayer and meditation. Prayer not for getting good things in life. Prayer for finding God, for identifying God. I love this, you know, um, Saint Teresa. She, she had this vision of obviously the Christ. And uh, before she could say anything, that figure in the vision, that bearded figure, glowing, standing in front of her, asks her, who are you? And she automatically, without thinking, she replies, I'm Teresa of Jesus. And then she asks this figure, who are you? And the figure replies, I'm Jesus of Teresa. Yeah. You see? That becomes the goal. I must be one with that higher word. I must be one with that spiritual reality. This change comes. And it has come to all of us because we are here. Then what happens? The next big transformation, all of these big changes start coming then. I become moral in my life, not because it's something to be practiced. It becomes because this is who I am. I am honest because who I, this is who I am. Otherwise, I'll be unhappy. I, I am pure. I do not indulge in the mud, mud of the senses, sense pleasures, because this is who I am. If I do that, I'll be unhappy at the end of it. And someone said, Mom, if you chase pleasure single-mindedly, you very soon you find nothing pleasing anymore. That maturity we have all got. At some time, somebody, they must, people must come to that maturity. That endless partying is not the, uh, not the solution to life's problems. That some, every, most of people understand by the time they are out of the teens. Some do not. So then I, I realized that this reality is there. These are big transformations which come. So we move from a, uh, to the level of morality, level of purity, and level of spiritual practice, prayer, meditation, calmness of mind, till the next step comes. What is the next step? Says Pashyati, you see for the first time. What do you see? The higher word. You actually see it. Maybe not with the physical eyes, but it, it is an experience. The clouds, the fog, parts for for a brief second, and you see this enormous vista opening up before you. An infinite existence. It's the existence of the entire universe in one reality. That's what it feels like. Shining. It says the, the bird is golden. 
the golden word means it is pure consciousness shining forth existence consciousness it shines forth you see what will happen at that point is till that point you are look you are searching for the higher birth you're searching for god for brahman after that seeing even one seeing after that seeing we know it is there we have found it then it doesn't end it doesn't come to a, the process does not end then the process is of stabilizing oneself in that many of us i have known so many people who have had glimpses but now the real thing is to become stabilized in that the real thing is not to slip back into the branches and start hopping around and picking at this and that again the real thing is to become stabilized in my identity as the higher bird aham brahmasmi i am brahman no longer a matter of belief no longer something fantastic it's a fact now how can i stabilize myself in that fact so that will become now you know spiritual practices will now become will change till that point spiritual practices were seeking for god seeking for the higher bird seeking for the true self atman after that time after that seeing initial seeing spiritual practices will continue they'll become more intense but then the the practices are not for seeking or seeing the practices are for becoming established i have found it let me not slip back into my identity as the lower bird anymore all right one more thing the next thing is asya mahimanam iti vita shoka then what happens after knowing yourself finding this higher bird then the lower bird and the tree and the entire forest is seen as the glory of the higher bird is seen as the radiance of the higher bird it's not that the higher bird flies away from this body then you are you don't have a body you don't have a mind you don't have a life i was saying that once i was talking about vedanta and a lady who she was looking at it at me sternly in, in the class and in the q and a session she said I don't know it all seems to be you know it all seems to be a way of avoiding responsibility <laughs> you have got so much responsibility a family and a job and the housework to do the dishes to do and you're using a particularly clever philosophy of saying that oh i'm not the body i'm not the mind and i, I don't need to do all of that no you're not avoiding responsibility when you look back upon life this very life this world this body the tree of life this all of this appears as the glory of the higher bird as your glory you yourself are shining forth as the universe you are one with everything you are one with the lower bird and the tree and the entire forest and with all the lower birds also they are all you this universe becomes your glory then what happens this very life continues but then it becomes a joy it becomes bliss whether there is If the body is old and disease even that is bliss youth is bliss old age is bliss health is bliss when health goes away and the body breaks down it's still bliss that's when ramakrishna in advanced cancer throat cancer when uh, his disciple turiyananda hari hari maraj comes and asks him how are you today sir and he says oh there is so much pain and uh, i can't eat this pain here i can't eat and hari marat says the disciple says but i see you are in great bliss that would be a cruel thing to say to a cancer patient but how does ramakrishna react 
he bursts out laughing and he says, oh, the rascal has caught me out. He has caught me out. He can still function as the lower bird with the mind and body and all the experiences. But you know firmly all the time that you are the higher bird. Then all this life becomes a glory, a play, a joy. No longer, it becomes, it, it's, it's like a movie then which you are enjoying. Even the tragic parts of it are no longer tragic. The tragedy is still there. You may even cry at it, but you also know you're completely safe from it. All of it, you, we will go through it, but with absolute equanimity and joy. And you'll do what has to be done, much better than we were doing earlier. In the Panchadashi, Vidyaranya says, the whole of Vedanta is shifting the reference of the I. I, vertical I, not this. Vertical I, shifting the reference of the I. What do you mean shifting the reference of the I? You see, when we use words, words mean something. When I say clock, it means this object. Clock is a word. What does it mean? It means this object. Now, I is a word. What does it mean? Ask yourself, what does it mean? If it means the body and mind, that's the lower word. Swami Vivekananda says, sit quietly and think I. If any thought of the mind or the body comes, you're not enlightened yet. <laughs> it's a clear test. So, Vedanta is shifting the reference of the I. As long as when we say I and it means to us this being, then we are still the lower bird. But for an enlightened person, the I refers to pure consciousness, the witness of this body and mind, the higher bird. Shifting the reference of the I from the lower bird, which is, if you remember, subtle body and causal body with consciousness trapped in it, to the higher bird, which is pure consciousness. Right here, in this body, it's available right now. Shifting this reference so that afterwards when we say I, we will mean to ourselves at least, not to others, but to ourselves at least we will mean I am existence, consciousness, bliss. This is Vedanta, shifting the reference of the I. What does I mean? In ignorance, I means the lower bird, the subtle body and causal body in this physical body. And in enlightenment, it means the higher, higher bird, existence, consciousness, bliss common to all bodies. In fact, all bodies, the entire forest, all the trees, and all the lower birds, they're all one higher bird, dreaming itself as all of this. So, <laughs> that is the journey. The journey is truly an inner journey. It's within this body. The lower bird is in this body, the higher bird is in this body. And it's a journey from ignorance to knowledge. So it's a journey from helplessness to absolute security and position of power and safety. It's a journey from, um, you know, complete involvement in matter to complete independence of the spirit. And it's all accomplished within. It's a journey from conventional religion to spirituality. Journey from the apparent I to the real I. Vivekananda gave a talk here, the apparent man and the real man. So that's the journey of Advaita Vedanta. I just said that with um, enormous 
good karma, you come to Vedanta. But I have found the exact same thing in Buddhism and Jainism. They say when you have got enormous good karma, you come to Buddhism. Or when you have got enormous good karma, you come to Jainism. Now, apart from the sectarian things, what I think what is meant there, there's a truth there. What it means is one comes from conventional religion to real spiritual seeking. It's not the fault of religion. It's our evolution which matters. It's our evolution. The saints in that very church itself, they found God. So it's not the problem of organized religion. It's not, not out there. It's a problem of inner evolution. Once I evolve, I find God right here because God ultimately is right here in this tree of the higher bird. That's who we are seeking. All right, we'll end this uh, with a chant. And there's a song. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna I'll end with my favorite chant. But yes, I would love to come back here every summer and uh, both, <laughs> both, both Santa Barbara and you all. Uh, that, that's very important. You bring the Vedanta out of me. So, <laughs> um, so I'll end with my favorite chant, which is Purnamada Purnamidam. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyate Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ramakrishna Rupanamastu Now, it just occurred to me that the higher bird and the lower bird and the chant, they mean the same thing. You see, it literally means this is the infinite, that is the infinite. This infinite has emerged from that infinite. If you see that infinite in this infinite, the infinite alone remains. Now, you can yourself put it in the terms of the two birds. This lower bird is the infinite. That higher bird is the infinite. This lower bird has appeared from the higher bird. In this lower bird itself, if you find the higher bird, the higher bird alone remains. Om, peace, peace, peace. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.